Are you hesitating to take the next step in your e-commerce journey? Founder Plus has you covered with proven frameworks tailored to your business needs for fast results, a supportive community of over 30,000 like-minded entrepreneurs and weekly live mentorship sessions. Founder Plus is your key to success. Try Founder Plus today for just $1 for seven days and start building your dream business with confidence. You can visit founder.com forward slash start dollar trial or click the link in the description to claim your trial. This is episode number 71 with Guy Kawasaki of the Founder Podcast. What you need is thirst. You need to be a thirsty human. Who is intent on learning. It's a really fascinating fascinating exploration of human potential. Now. 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 The Founder Podcast. Even the greatest entrepreneurs had help. If you want to learn from the most successful founders on the planet, you are in the right place. Branson, Mark Cuban, Tony Robbins, Tim Ferriss, Ariana Huffington, Steve Case, Gary V, Sophia Amoroso, Barbara Corcoran, Damon John. Learn from the greatest minds in business today with interviews hosted by Nathan Chan. This is not your average entrepreneur podcast. The Founder Podcast. Hey guys, thank you so much for tuning in. Before we start today's episode, I just want to let you know that our goal at Founder is to help entrepreneurs succeed however we can by giving away high quality content in the form of interviews, blog posts, podcasts, YouTube videos, you name it. We put out so much content to help you. And another interesting project that we're working on right now is partnering with world-class founders like Damon John, Alexa Von Tobel, Greta Van Riel, and so many more to teach crucial skills like negotiation, finance, e-commerce, and so much more. So if you'd like to get access to these free trainings with founders like this, which is 100% free, just go to founder.com forward slash free. Okay, so now let's talk about today's episode. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of the Founder Podcast. Hope you're all having a great week. It's uh, coming towards Christmas, which is summer for some of us here in Australia and our part of the world, and then also cold for everyone else over the other side of the world. And uh, yeah, I hope things are slowing down for you guys. Uh, they're, they're certainly not slowing down for us, but I'm looking forward to uh, catching up on some stuff over the Christmas break. Things have been pretty crazy. As I mentioned in a previous episode, we're working on some really, really cool products at the moment. One in particular called Founders Club which is going to be amazing. So stay tuned for that. If you are on our newsletter and want to find out more about how you can be an inaugural member and join this super cool exclusive club for startup founders and entrepreneurs, which we are really, really pumped about. So yeah, we've got a lot going on and uh, yeah, that's me in a nutshell. So actually another thing that's pretty cool is it's my birthday. Uh, My birthday is... December the 15th so by the time you'll be listening to this episode it will have just passed my birthday my birthday is always combined with Christmas and it really frustrates me because I always get joint my birthday and my Christmas always gets combined usually presents so yeah uh, that's it from me so let's talk about today's guest Uh, he's the one and only Guy Kawasaki 
He was one of the uh, early stage employees at Apple, actually was responsible for marketing the Macintosh in the early days. He was the chief evangelist for Apple. So he actually popularized the word evangelist in marketing and uh, the concepts evangelism marketing and, and technology evangelism. And he's done a lot of cool stuff. He's pretty much a rock star on social media. He's an advisor to Motorola. He became the chief evangelist for Canva, a free graphic design website, which is actually based here in Australia. And, uh, you know, he's, he's, he's a massive, massive social media rock star and guru when it comes to everything, social media, startups, innovation, marketing, products, you name it. So there's a lot of epic stuff that we covered, especially around marketing and social media. And uh, these things are not like the kind of stuff that we touched on. I, I really, really wanted to make sure that we didn't touch on, I guess, you know, things that are current with social media right now, but really just timeless things that you can take away. And, uh, you know, these social media tips can serve you for really, you know, a very, very long time. So that's it from me, guys. I'm really, really excited about today's guest. He's, like I said, and I keep saying this, he's an absolute rock star. I know you're going to love this episode. So if you are enjoying our episodes and you want to help support the brand, please do take the time to leave us a review. Please do check out the magazine. If you love these interviews, I know you're going to love the magazine. It's the fruits of our labor. And also, you know what? Check out the website. We're doing heaps and epic. I don't really mention this much, but we are doing heaps and heaps of epic blog posts and all sorts of really, really useful content just to help you level up how, however we can. So that's it from me, guys. Now let's jump into the show. I'm going to start off with the same question I ask every one of our guests. How did you get your job? <laughs> Which one? I've had several. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I guess what you're working on right now. Uh, right now, I'm the chief evangelist of Canva, and Canva, Sydney-based online design service, found me. They found me because I was using their service. Awesome. And what about your first job? My first job. Well, you don't mean my very first job, but the first job that you're probably referring to is the Apple software evangelist job, mm. and that job was purely because of nepotism that the person who hired me was my college buddy because on paper I certainly was not adequately qualified to do the job. <laughs> okay, interesting. So, yeah, let's um let's touch on Canva because that's actually I'm I'm based out of Melbourne, massive fan of this startup. They they're based out of Sydney, Australia. Tell us about what you love about Canva and for the audience that haven't heard of Canva. Well, Canva is in the business of democratizing design. So it means that people do not have to buy or rent an expensive product and go through a very long and difficult learning curve. And just as Macintosh in the mid-80s democratized computing, where you didn't have to be a, an IT or MIS geek, that you could now use something with a beautiful graphical user interface, um, that's what Canva is trying to do for design, to empower more people to do great designs. Awesome. And, you know, 
how's that all going? Like, um, I'm really curious around this whole evangelism role. Yeah. Like, how's it going for you? A, a... Oh, Canva is just yeah. rocking and rolling. Um, signing up thousands and thousands of people every day. It's because I think people have, have now figured out that, you know, this is a, a very busy, hectic world. And to stand out from the crowd, you can't just use text. So you need to have visual marketing. And in a world with visual marketing, you have to create graphics. And I can tell you that I believe we are the best way for most people to create graphics. Mm. Yeah, no. Look, it's it's so it's such an amazing tool. It's really, really easy to use. And I'd like to touch on just what it means to be an evangelist for a company. Like what does what does your day look like? What's your I'm curious around your strategies and your tactics to help grow Canva and spread the word. Yes. So first of all, to understand the concept, evangelism comes from Greek words meaning bringing the good news. So I brought the good news of Macintosh democratizing computing, and now I'm bringing the good news of Canva democratizing design. And so my role is to spread the good news of Canva. That is to make people aware that you know, there is a better way, as Steve Jobs <laughs> once said. So that's my job. It's the good news. And like, what sort of what sort of things are you doing now exactly? Like, um, out of curiosity, because I think this might be really valuable to our audience. Like, because many our audience is you know aspiring and novice stage entrepreneurs, so they might have just started something or wanting to start something, and they want to get the word out. You know, what yeah. sort of things? can you recommend and you're practicing right now to get the word out? Because you're a master at this. Well, there are two things. Uh, one is digital. And I can tell you, compared to being an evangelist in the mid-80s to today, it is so much easier to be an evangelist because of social media. Social media enables people to reach you know, millions of people all over the world, fast, free, and easy. And... Ah, that just wasn't true. When I was an evangelist for Macintosh, I had an analog phone and an <laughs> airplane ticket and a car. Right? Yeah, wow. So, you know, I, I would not be recording a Skype interview uh, with someone in Melbourne, that's for sure. So the world has completely changed. So social media is the best thing that ever happened to evangelism. So you're saying to build, you should be building your own personal brand to, I guess provide value in certain marketplaces like yeah it depends if you're working for a startup you know probably you should be building the brand's social media platform as opposed to the ceos very few ceos really know how to use social media well you know maybe the only exception is richard branson so i i think it's all about the brand uh, especially because uh you know CEOs come and go, believe it or not, mm. whereas the brand has to stay. Mm. Yeah, no, that's a great point. So what are you doing on social? Because you've got a massive presence on social. What are some of the things that you're doing on social that our audience can take away? Well, there's two key concepts for social that I think work. First is what I call the NPR test, and that's National Public Radio in the United States. Uh, I think in Australia, it's ABC. Mm. And so it's, it's, it's public radio, right? Yeah. And, and here, public radio provides great content all year long. And a few weeks a year, 
it runs a pledge drive where it asks people for donations. And the only reason why the pledge drive works is because it provides such great value all year to people. And so when the pledge drive happens, people feel a need to reciprocate, they feel obligated. So the concept in social media is you provide great value, information, assistance, analysis, entertainment, so that when you want to run your pledge drive, people feel a need to reciprocate or at least tolerate what you're doing. So right now, Canva is announcing a major upgrade called Canva for Work. And if you look at my social media presence, it's very heavy with promotion. I am in the middle of my pledge drive right now. Mm. And the reason why I can get away with this and it works is because every other day of the year, I'm merely providing great curated and created content. Mm. So that's one concept. The second concept is what I call the reshare test. And the way the reshare test works is that everything you post, you should believe is so good that not only will your followers and friends like it, they will reshare it to their followers and friends because it is so useful, so informative, so entertaining. Mm. Oh, these are great concepts. And what is your, what's, what's your most favorite platform? What are you liking right now? It's, it's very hard to keep up. I'm, I'm looking at Periscope and I'm thinking that's going to be a massive platform now, but then Facebook has started theirs, you know? Yeah. Yeah. What are, you, what are your thoughts? I'm curious. Well, it changes every week. Uh, <laughs> I am on Facebook. Facebook enables you to do live video, but only if you're using an application called Mentions. Mm. And the only people who can use Mentions are verified public figures. Mm. So there's only about a thousand of them in the world. So there's only a thousand people who can do Periscope slash Meerkat-like function right now in Facebook. And I'm one of those thousand. And it is extremely well done. Uh, oh, it, wow. it looks like, yeah, it looks like they learned all the mistakes of what Meerkat and Periscope did, and they, you know, they're the fast third, if you will. Mm. And uh, yesterday, I did two five-minute demos of Canva, and I I had about a reach of about I think seventy thousand people. And about fifteen or twenty thousand people actually watch the videos. So, wow. you know, how how else can you get fifteen or twenty thousand people to watch a marketing video standing in your office with an investment of ten minutes? I mean, <laughs> it's crazy. You know, it is. It is crazy. So, you really like live streaming? I love live streaming. So, you think it's the future? Well, you know. That changes every day. Mm. So, but you know, live streaming is one aspect of Facebook, right? So, Facebook has fantastic targeting demographically. Of all the social media platforms that I work with, Facebook provides the most engagement and the most traffic. Mm. Awesome. And I know, I know you actually really like Google Plus too. You, you like Twitter. You, you're very big on them all. So. For somebody starting out, like what platform do you recommend to follow those two strategies that you gave? Well, of course, it depends on what business. Mm. So if I were in the fashion business, you know, maybe Instagram or Pinterest. If I were you know, a professional consultant, accountant, lawyer or something like that, it would be LinkedIn. But generally speaking, I would start with Facebook. Mm. Okay, awesome. And... 
Let's switch gears. I, I'd like to talk to you about uh, bullsacity. Can you tell us what, what that means and, and uh, a little bit of an insight for our audience? Yeah, so bullsacity is the concept of people who tell you that it can't be done, it shouldn't be done, it isn't necessary. Negative, naysaying kind of people. And I think there are two kinds of bozos. One bozo is unsuccessful. So that's not a dangerous bozo because you look at that person and you say, well, you're a loser, so why should I listen to a loser? So that's not dangerous. The dangerous bozo is a bozo who is successful. And when you look at that bozo who's rich and famous and you know owns a house in Australia and owns a house in America and owns a house in London and Hong Kong, and you look at that filthy, rich, famous, powerful person, and that person says, can't be done, shouldn't be done, isn't necessary, you would probably be tempted to listen to that advice. Hmm. That's the dangerous one. Because, you know, very few people are rich, famous, powerful, and smart. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. So there's a lot of people out there that say things can't be done they're, they're, like you would say, bozos. Can you give us an example of, of, of some crazy stories of, from your time of, of people saying that things can't be done? Well, just about every company in social media. <laughs> <laughs> like, I mean, just imagine if somebody came to you, I don't know, eight or nine years ago or whenever and said, well, we're going to enable people to send 140 character text messages. Hmm. You know, you can do that now with uh, SMS and you can do that with chat and God forbid you could even send short emails. You know, why would anybody do Twitter? And, you know, like YouTube, you'd say, well, so we're going to enable people to upload stolen video and we're going to need infinite, drive, infinite bandwidth and infinite uh, storage space. And what's going to make us successful is when people start dropping Mentos into Diet Cokes. You know, that, that's a company I would fund. I can tell you that right now. So, you know, but I want to paint a picture that just because someone tells you that you'll fail doesn't mean you'll fail. On the other hand, just because someone tells you you'll fail also doesn't mean you'll succeed. Hmm. So how do you know so what to trust? You don't. <laughs> it's that simple and, and the way it works is you take your best shot and if you're successful you say I knew this would work and if you're not successful you blame your investors <laughs> interesting what about uh, you know I'm curious and I know you would get this question all the time but I'm just curious what's the greatest lesson you've ever learned from Steve Jobs Probably the greatest lesson is that people cannot tell you what they need. You know, all they can tell you is what they want. You know, we want bigger, faster, cheaper of the same thing. But, you know, when Apple had the Apple II, nobody came in and said, well, give us an incompatible machine that is more of a vertically oriented screen with a mouse, bitmap graphics, WYSIWYG printing and display with no software. Because that's what we built. Mm. And you know, Steve Jobs' genius was either he could predict what people would come to need, or he could build what he wanted and convince people to need what he wanted to build. You could interpret his success either way, but that's the lesson I learned from Steve. 
Mm. You know, people can't tell you what they want. Yeah, that's a really interesting one because I've heard you say that before and I've always wondered, like, in terms of customer feedback then, how do you take it? Like, how do you, you know, the whole lean startup feedback loop, you know, how, how do you interpret all of that feedback? Well, the it's not necessarily a conflict. What I'm saying is to create the next curve, to create the next jump, it's your best guess, it's your vision, it's your dream, it's your whatever, okay? But then once you ship it, then you have to start listening to people. And, uh, and that is a very hard shift to make, to go from saying, no, we're going to build what we think you need, to then saying, okay, we shipped what we think you need, now tell us how to fix it. That's a very difficult transition to make. Okay, that's really interesting because I, I'm sure you're familiar with uh, Eric Reese, Steve Blank's work around yeah. the lean startup. What are yeah. your thoughts on that? Uh, I think they're right. I think this concept of MVP, which is the minimum viable product, is absolutely right. I would add two more Vs to MVP. Mm -hmm. uh, in my book, The Art of the Start 2.0, I call it the MVVVP. So the other two Vs are that it's valuable and validating. So you can ship something that's viable, that can make a buck, but mm -hmm. it's not necessarily valuable in the sense that it changes the world. And it might also not validate your, your vision, your perception, your understanding of the world. So a great first product is viable, valuable, and it validates your thinking. Mm, so not ship crap pretty much? Well, you should not ship crap, but you can ship something that is an MVVVP that has elements of crappiness to it. So there's a difference between shipping crap and shipping something that's great but has flaws. Mm. And how do you know when it's ready to ship? Well, one good test is when you're about to run out of money. <laughs> you yeah. know, you don't. And I, I think companies probably ship too late and too early. Mm. Okay, interesting. And you know, I have to I have to touch on something. You talked about investors a lot. Are you all about bootstrapping, or you believe that? Finding capital is the way to go to build build a business to, I guess, disrupt a marketplace, make change in, a, in an innovative business. Yeah, you know, I, I am more in the camp of bootstrap, try not to ever take venture capital if possible, or at least prolong it or postpone it as long as possible. And I think this is more possible in this world today because of cloud computing, of crowdfunding of social media marketing, of open source tools. So all of these things means that uh, companies are easier and cheaper to start than ever. So you don't need as much money to start. Mm. And why, why shouldn't you look for funding? Uh, because I think that too much money is worse than too little. When you have too much money, you know, all of a sudden you believe that you have to create a great workplace environment where there's massage, free food, mm, foosball yeah. tables. Uh, you need to have off sites in, um, you know, Thailand because there's team building and all that. And, you know, fundamentally a startup, you only have to do two things. You need someone to make it and someone to sell it. And that's it. And when you have too much money, all of a sudden you have someone who has to, you know, make it, somebody has to sell it, somebody has to partner, 
somebody has to create a strategic direction. And now you get all these people that are not necessary for the, 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 the core function of a startup. Mm, that's such a great point because I've always thought that myself. Like we're not a venture-backed start, bootstrapped from yeah. the ground up. And, you know, I've always thought like what would I do with this money? And and funnily enough, one of my mentors, he came to me, he sold one of his companies for $8 million, like a, a portion of it. And uh, he's like, do you need money, you know, this and that? And I was like, you know, well, probably not. Like right now, yeah. you know, we, we don't really need it. And I've always thought like if I did have that money, I it would be such a different mindset because it'd be like, you know, have to get these stuff to do this, have to, you know, have an amazing place and yeah. <laughs> and, and then you need a chief people officer. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And then you need a chief culture officer. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah, no, okay. That's, that's a great point. So what is the one thing that Guy Kawasaki does that others don't? that has had the biggest effect on your success? Well, I can't say that I do anything that no one else does, but the biggest factor for my success is that I'm willing to grind it out. I'm willing to work hard. I can outwork most people. There are people who are smarter than me. There are people who can work harder than me, but there are very few people who are smarter and can work harder than me. Mm. So, you know, when you talked about evangelism when you were doing it for Apple, as opposed to Canva and you just had, you know, when you were doing it for Apple, you just had a cell phone and a plane ticket. What, what did your life look like? Like, was it just ridiculous, relentless hustle? Can you take us back to like, you know, when you first started, like when you first walked into the office, this is what you're going to do. Tell, tell us how it worked out. So back then, you know, we had a Macintosh prototype in a bag. Yep. And we had a stack of non-disclosure agreements, and we went to software companies, and I, we said, if you sign this, we're going to show you what's in the bag. <laughs> it was hand-to-hand -hand combat. And how did you, what was the best way to convince people to sign a form? To sign a form? Well, you know, back then, it really was a secret project. Mm. And, you know, we, we had a predicament because if too many people saw and understood and heard about the Macintosh, they might stop buying Apple IIs, right? And mm. Apple II was paying the bills. Yeah, yeah, that's so right. So we, we, we had to get people to not talk about the Macintosh. Now, to sort of conflict with what I tell people now is a company should never ask an investor to sign an NDA because most sophisticated investors will never sign an NDA because at any given moment, they may be talking to five companies about the same thing. Mm. And so, you know, if, if you're a CEO and you say, if you sign my NDA, I'll tell you about my new product. Most people won't sign it. I, in fact, I could make the case that the people who sign it are the people who are too stupid. You don't want their money. <laughs> so, and, but it's different when a hardware company does it because a hardware company it's not about someone's going to steal the idea. It's about cannibalizing the sale of existing products. Mm. So, you know? Yeah. No, I got you. Just uh, one last question before we wrap up. Three action items for entrepreneurs, aspiring on and novice stage entrepreneurs. It's prototype, prototype, and prototype. That's it. It's not about PowerPoint, Excel, or Word. It's about prototyping. Awesome. All right. Well, look. Thank you so much for your time, Guy. It was, it was an absolute pleasure speaking with you. Okay, thank you. Thank you.
Hey guys, I hope you enjoyed this interview. As you might already know, our mission at Founder is to help tens of millions of people every single week with our content, either start or grow their business, which is exactly why we're partnering with world-class founders such as Damon John, Alexa Von Tobel, Greta Van Riel, and so many more to teach crucial skills such as negotiation, finance, e-commerce, and so much more. So if you'd like to get access to these free exclusive trainings, please go to founder.com forward slash free. These are 100%. We go super in depth on teaching a particular topic, and I know that you're going to love them if you enjoy this podcast. So just go to founder.com forward slash free. All right, guys, I'll see you in the next episode.